0: Let's just bow for uh, a word of prayer once more. And Father, we thank you for this time that we have to look at this text, uh, to look at the prodigal son, uh, to see what we can learn. And I pray that the truths that are revealed uh, through this, uh, that we might take those truths and we apply them to our lives and live them out in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as I was preparing to do this Terrible. I was reminded of the first time I was going to do my first, like, uh, speech or preaching opportunity when I was doing my internship at my old church, and there was this opportunity, my dad said, because he was the pastor, you can preach on whatever you want, and I was thinking, okay, so I was searching through the scriptures, thinking, what am I going to preach on, and Took me a little bit, and I finally came to the parable of the prodigal son, and I was like, "Dad, I'm going to preach on the parable of the prodigal son." And he looked at me and said, eh, "Well, why don't you do something else?" <laughs> uh, and so, because he said at the time that there was just too much uh, in the prodigal son, and I wouldn't have a fully uh, good grasp on what the parable was truly about, and he was right. But ever since that moment, I was thinking, I really want to do a sermon on the parable of the prodigal son. And so here I am today. Uh, As you may recollect, uh, we have been in Luke chapter 15, uh, at least for a long time when I'm preaching. We did the parable of the lost sheep, uh, the parable of the lost coin last time. Both of those, that idea of something that is lost being found. And the first one is the sheep, and the shepherd seeks it out. And the second one, it is the woman. Uh, who loses that precious coin of hers, and she uh, is seeking it out. These three parables, yet again, all stem from verses 1 and 2, where it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So these all stem from them that he is um, speaking against that idea, or not against it, actually just clarifying that he truly does receive sinners and eats with them, as they should be doing as well. And so it's all stemming from the idea that he came to seek and save the lost. And so this parable, the prodigal son, picks up yet again after the previous two parables, and it says, and he said, and let's just read. uh, Well, before we do that, I'll just point out the fact that there are three characters in this parable. There is the father, there is the younger son, and there is the older son, and there's a lot of confusion about this parable and that many people would assume that this parable is mainly about the prodigal son and that is not where I would land I would actually say that the parable is more so about the father as well as the older son Uh, and you can see this with the progression of the story as we look at today we're going to look at the younger son but then it kind of moves to talking about the father and then it ends with talking about the older son and the older son is a representation of the Pharisees, who he is talking to at this point in time, and trying to get them to understand that he came to seek and save the lost. As previously we talked about the coin and the shepherd, and that was mainly talking about how the shepherd seeked and saved the lost, and how the woman saw out the coin and saved him. And from This parable, now we kind of see it from the other point of view. Uh, We see it from the point of view of that which was lost. In this case, we see it from the parable of the lost son. And so we get a greater depth or better, a different perspective uh, than the other two, and that we see it from the perspective of the lost. We really have to understand context, uh, what is actually happening in this, Uh, ...to understand the parable, and there is a lot of confusion on this parable, and it's probably one of the most popular and famous parables, and in fact, when you watch TV, at some point in time, you'll hear someone say something about a prodigal son just yesterday... I was watching a show and they said the prodigal daughter and they were referencing this story. And so it's just, it comes out a lot and usually when people reference it, they don't reference it in the correct way Uh, and just tells you that they don't understand it. There's two points that I want to highlight for us today. And the first one is going to be a reckless life. Let's read again verses 11 through 16. It says, And he said there was a man who had two sons. There again, there's the three characters, the man, the father, and the two sons. The younger of them said to the father, his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I actually only meant to read till 16. I kind of got carried away, so I'm sorry about that. All right, so we have a reckless life. And the first point of this is a reckless life is demanding to leave. Now, you notice the younger son... He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Uh, This request in itself is a very unusual request for that time. Uh, Even in a time period today, uh, this was a selfish and unacceptable request. In fact, as the Pharisees and scribes were hearing this, they would have thought this is a violation of the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. Um, Because for the son to ask this of the father is very dishonoring to him. What he is essentially doing is asking for his inheritance. Uh, And the thing is, he doesn't want to wait for his father to die. He wants his inheritance now. That is what he is asking for. And the inheritance would only be given if the father was dead or if the father was so unwell Uh, and unfit to care for his own property. So he's requesting this, and he's essentially saying to his dad, Father, I can't really wait for you to die. Just give me the inheritance now. And so this is a uh, terrible and unacceptable request that he is making. Uh, This would normally bring... Open shame on the son, and he would be cast out of the family, and he would actually be considered dead to that family, uh, which makes sense later on, as we see with the father, right? He says, My son was dead, and now he is alive. It's shocking, it's a shocking request that is made. Uh, and any father, even nowadays, who heard that uh, would be shocked, would be saddened by this request, and you would probably say no. Uh, however, that is not what this father does. Now, the shocking part of this is that it says, and he divided his property between them. Now, naturally, the younger son would have gotten two-thirds of it, and the younger son would have gotten one-third of this property. But all of this is to say that when you look at the son, you can see clearly that his heart was not with the father. Uh, that he wanted to leave. That uh, he wanted to be away from his father, away from the responsibilities that came with being with the father. Uh, whatever it was that made him want to leave, it's clear that he doesn't want to be with the father. And this is a good representation of of man's desire to be independent from God. And this goes all the way back to the beginning with the temptation, right? You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Uh, That idea of being like God, that we don't want to be under God, we want to go our own way, we want to do our own thing, make our own life, often in a far-off country. And that's important to understand, because all subsequent sins are included in this one when you really think about it when you're sinning you are just saying that you think you know it better than god and you want to do that instead of obeying god and so we are much like often this young man we want to take matters into our own hands and a wreck with, which leads us to our next point, which is a reckless life is running from God. And it says, And not many days later the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he gathers all of his stuff, and so again this would have been property, and so he has to liquidate his property because he can't take it with him. And so he has to turn it into some form of coin, and that way he can bring the coin to the far-off country. Interestingly enough, obviously he goes and uh, is with pigs eventually, and so some say that Jesus is at least referring to beyond the Sea of Galilee, if you can remember the man who was possessed by demons, the legion, and then those lead, uh, uh, those demons are cast out into pigs, and the pigs go off the cliff. It was like a Pig farming place, so it could be in reference to that. People would have said, oh, far off country, maybe over there where they are raising pigs. So he gathers it all. Uh, Land could have been sold, everything was sold, turned into coin, or he would bring whatever it was. Interestingly enough, the land would be still under the father's possession until the father died, and then when the father died, the land, since it was sold by the son to someone else, would fall into the hands of the other person. Augustine states about this, that the far-off country is the forgetfulness of God. This young man is just trying to get away. He just wants to leave his old life behind, and he wants to live it his own way. And he does that, by squandering his property in reckless living. The squandered literally means to scatter. Uh, In other, the word is used elsewhere in Acts when the Christians are under persecution. It says that they scattered, that idea of just being thrown everywhere. Uh, So it was just thrown away in reckless living, uh, literally living unsavingly. The kindred noun, this is the only place that this word in particular is used, reckless. uh, But the kindred noun is used as debauchery. Uh, You can see that in Ephesians. uh, Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So you have that idea And he does this to the point that he begins to be in need. Uh, This need uh, is literally to come up short. Uh, He's all gone. He's spent it all. It's scattered. And now he's going to be at the point of starvation, he's going to be on the brink of death. When you think about it, so far, his plan of leaving the Father hasn't worked out. His plan of living the life the way he wants to, it hasn't worked out. Uh, We're only a few, it only takes one verse to recognize this, that he gets his money, and he goes and spends it all recklessly. And you would think at this point in time, well, maybe he's learned his lesson. Uh, he's literally at the lowest of low that he's ever been in his entire life. And you might, if you haven't hadn't read it before, you'd say, could he get any lower? Uh, why isn't it at this point in time that he says, oh, remember my father? <laughs> How he actually had property? I could go back to my father. Uh, but that's not what happens. Instead, he tries to take matters into his own hands. And so he says, I have gotten myself to this point with reckless living. I've scattered my wealth everywhere, and now I'm going to try to get myself out of this situation. And so he hires himself out. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. This guy just goes from bad to worse. R.C. trench says that this is a fall within a fall. This is like the inception of falls. This hired is a very interesting word because it means to be glued. And so this young man literally glues himself to this man who is from a far-off country. Uh, and it has this idea of being a beggar, because uh, that's what beggars would do. Uh, they would glue themselves to someone, and he probably begged this person so much, hire me, hire me, hire me, that the person finally gives up and says, okay, you can go work with the pigs. And why do you think he says that? Because he is a Jew, and to the Jews, that was an offensive thing to do. So he probably said, all right, go work with the pigs, figuring eventually he'll give out and he won't want to work with these things anymore. So again, this is just the young man going from bad to worse, his situation, which I found an interesting little illustration about this. It says, a man had a checkup and then he went to see his doctor to get the results. The doctor said that he had bad news and he had worse news for him. Which did he want first? The man was at a loss, and he said he'd rather hear the bad news first. The doctor said, "The bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live." At this point, the man jumped up, and he was totally flabbergasted and distraught. He, placed the doc- uh, he paced the doctor's office and complained, "24 hours to live? I can't possibly get my affairs in order that quickly. I can't believe this. Is- I can't believe this. It is incredible." What could be worse than this? And the doctor said, The worst news is that I was supposed to tell you this yesterday and forgot. (laughs) Uh, So anyways, that's a good illustration of going from bad to worse. The only difference is this young man intentionally, uh, because he's trying to get himself out of this situation, he makes the situation worse. So again, he's working with these pigs, and pigs to the Jews is unclean. We see this in Leviticus Leviticus 11, 7. You don't have to turn there, but that's where it talks about the uncleanliness of pigs. And there is also rabbinic writings that cursed people who were involved with working with pigs. And so for this young man, again, this is a terribly disgraceful thing for him to be doing. And just a little earlier, he would never imagined that he would be in the position where he is working with pigs. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking that is what sin does to us. It takes us, when we follow it, from a position of Bad to worse to worse to worse. And eventually, if you follow those sins enough, you will be doing things that you will look back on and say, how could I ever get to the point where I was doing those sins? Sins will always make you do things you never thought you would do. And it's very interesting because as I was thinking about this, I was thinking many times we as Christians put ourselves with the pigs. Turn to first Peter one. First Peter one thirteen through sixteen. First Peter one thirteen through sixteen. It says this therefore preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, it's very interesting, because when you really read this, I mean, it's a beautiful passage, and you would say, why would you even bring up, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance? And he has to bring this out, because that is so often what we do. And it's so sad to think that he says, don't uh, do this. Because you have the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know him. We know what Christ desires of us. Therefore, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You know better than to do those things which you ought not to do. It's very interesting because when we're doing this again, we're just taking matters into our own hands. We're wanting to be like God in those moments where we sin. Rather, instead of doing those things of your former ignorance, be holy for I am holy. That is the standard that God, that Christ wants for you. So... A reckless life is demanding to leave, is running from God, and ultimately has consequences. Verses 14, right? He is in need, but also looking again at 16, that he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. It's interesting when you look at this, because his dilemmas come from both within and from without, uh, much like life. When you think about it, it comes from within. His own selfish desire to go live, want to live his life, has brought him to this point where he is with pigs, undoubtedly. And that happens to us as well. Uh, Sometimes we have problems that come in our lives where we're with the pigs we end up there and we look at our life and say how did I get here and we realize that it was our own faults that we had ill intention to someone we had a temptation and we followed that temptation to its natural course instead of resisting it and the result is being again with those pigs and in real life Nowadays, that would be a disconnect from God. Not that we aren't saved, not that we lose our salvation, um, but all of us has probably had a point in our lives where we were, as I call, a spiritual high. Uh, We were in the word, we were praying to God, we felt this closeness with God that we maybe had never felt before in our life, and you have this one temptation, this one little sin, and all of a sudden, you kind of feel that disconnect. Uh, You don't feel that same connection that you had beforehand. And that is because of the sin that crept into your life. So we can have this disconnect from God. We can harm others mentally. We can have hurt relationships because of our sins, whatever it is. If we follow those sins, instead of following Christ as we should, we will end up with the swine. But they can also come from without, because when you look at the parable of the prodigal son, he had his own problems that got him there, but then there was also this famine in the land. And sometimes, oftentimes, God brings these things into our life, these trials for us. And you might say, it seems a little harsh, but really, would this young man learn his lesson if he didn't have that famine in his life, if he didn't get to the point where he literally couldn't go anywhere else and says, oh right, I have a father and my father has hired servants who are more, have more than enough. So these can be trials, uh, temptations, and disasters. But ultimately, for this man, this young man, there was an empty void. and For those who aren't, believers for those who do not know Christ there is this empty void I believe we talked about this on I almost said Monday but Wednesday with the men's group a little bit he was longing to be fed and in all reality he was longing this whole time for something he just didn't know what it was and in his longing he went to a far off country and spent all that he had because he thought that would fill that void that that would make him happy this longing to be fed is literally a desire. It's too long to covet. That is what he wants, just to be fed with what the pigs are eating. This man has a serious void that he can't fill, and he keeps trying to fill it all the wrong ways. It reminds me, or turn to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith again. 11.25. We're going to start actually verse 24. Hebrews 11.24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so Moses just has a clear understanding of this, that the sins of this world are fleeting, and he would rather be serving God. And that is the perspective that we need to have, because if you follow those fleeting pleasures of sin, it will only bring emptiness. There will always be that void. Because sin is fleeting, but God is eternal. God is the only one who can fill that void through Christ. And so we see that this man, this young man, was very, very reckless. And that recklessness, that need, brought him to where he is now with the pigs, longing to eat what the pigs are eating. And all of us have probably seen a movie, have seen pigs, And when you see pigs eat, you know that it is not a good thing, and it doesn't look good. So you can imagine the point that this guy is in, that he is longing to eat what those pigs are eating. This recklessness leads to a repentant heart. We're going to go to verse 17 through 19 now. It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. This, this point he is at brings an awareness of himself. Now this happens to us through the power of the Holy Spirit who reveals our situation. Uh, but in the story, he has this awareness and he finally says, it is at this point he says, I just love the words, he came to himself. He finally realized it. My word, look, I have a father, and my father has hired servants, and those hired servants are way better off than I am right now. It leads to remembering his fathers and his father's hired servants. And it's interesting because it says more than enough. Uh, It's not just that his hired servants are... At least making ends meet. It's that his father is a generous man. And he gives even his hired servants more than they need. And the thing is, he was just hoping at this point, let me just be one of those hired servants, and then at least I will have what I need. Probably more than enough than I need. And this leads to repentance. Right, He said to himself, after saying he has more, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is true repentance. Some people say that at this point, the son didn't have true repentance, but I would deny that and say this is, right? I have sinned against heaven and before you. That is the outlook we need to have, as we'll see in a moment. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. It says, As it is, rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. uh, uh, Salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You were grieved into repentance. This is The kind of grieving, it's to be distressed, to have sorrow. That is to have sorrow over your sins as this young man had. He looked at his position and he gets to the point of sorrow. To the point where he says, I have a father. And this repentance is to turn back, away from, to turn towards the father. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. At some point in time, we all need to realize that we, at least if you're a believer, you were like that younger son. That you were in a wretched state where you are and that there is nothing you could do and you might even be like the younger son. You tried to hire yourself out. You went and spent all you had You tried to do all these things to work for it, but you realize that there's nothing you can do. It is what Christ did that will get you out of that state. There's another illustration that said uh, that there was this man who walked into a drugstore. He was a poor, untidy man, and he said, If you please, mister, can you give me something for a cold? Uh... And the druggist said, do you have a prescription? The man said, no, but I brought the cold. (laughs) And that is the perspective that we need to have. We don't need to come to Christ with the prescription. We just need to come with the cold. But God expects true repentance, and that is a repenting to God. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And this is what we need to realize. This is a very important point with this parable and with our life and repentance in general. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Our sins are against God. First and foremost. And I want to take you to Psalms 51 because this is a beautiful way to illustrate this. And I believe I'm running out of time. But we have to discuss this. Psalm 51. This is the psalm of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And at this point you would say, well, he has a lot of people that David has sinned against. He has sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, who he had killed, uh, the child that died because of the adultery. David's own children were affected by his example. Then because of that, an entire nation suffered, suffered a civil war. Uh, Absalom's rebellion, all these things come because David sinned with Bathsheba. And so David has a lot of (laughs) repenting to do. And David, the man after God's own heart, let's listen to what he says in verse 4. Well, actually, let's read verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me through my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Again, he had a lot of people who he affected because of his sin. And he says, Against you, God, have I sinned and done what is evil. When we sin, we need to realize that our sin is chiefly against God. Our sin against God may wrong others, but it is that sin That is the problem. R.C. Trench again says, For we may injure ourselves by our evil, we may wrong our neighbors, but we can sin only against God. And the recognition of our evil as first and chiefly against Him is the essence of all true repentance. At some point in your life, hopefully you got to the point of your lowest low, And you looked up and said, only God can get me out of this. And my sin is against God. And so when you're sinning, you can literally imagine that every time you sin, you are before the throne room of God. And you are doing that sin before God. Because that is the reality of us sinning. I have one more small point, and that is seeking forgiveness from man, because he has the right perspective. I have sinned against heaven, and that sinned against heaven is referring to God. Where am I? All right. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now he's talking to the father in the story. It's interesting because God comes out in both ways, both as the father, but he is also directly referred to in the parable as sinned against heaven. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worried to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he also is seeking forgiveness from his father as well. From heaven and before you. And like all people, we need to repent from God to God (laughs) from our sin, for our sin. And then seek the forgiveness of man. And these two things you do are active. We need to actively pursue these things, right? In verse 20, I will arise and I will go to my Father to do these things. When you wrong someone, when you do something that is evil, turn to God and admit your sin beforehand that you have sinned against heaven, and then arise and go to the person who you wronged and seek forgiveness from them as well. This is true repentance and forgiveness. So in conclusion, a reckless life should lead to a repentant heart. Yet there are many of those who are in the pig's den seeking others to hire them out. They always want to do it their way who are still unwilling to relent and turn to God. Let us be those with a repentant heart who repent to God when we sin and turn from that sin and towards Christ. And as we are seeking that repentance, as we repent to him, seek forgiveness from others as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to look in your word to see the parable of the prodigal son, the first portion of it. And I pray that uh, if anyone is like that young man who was with the pigs, that they would see where they are, that you would reveal to them the error in their ways, their sin, and that they would turn towards you and repent from that sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.